Mir kind of goes, all right, leans back and snaps his arm. This is Tall Can Audio. Oh, going to be a good show today. Got one last, even as we sit here in mid-January, one last Christmas gift to unwrap. And it's all because of our buddy Bunda, who, uh, I don't know, this is the earliest opportunity we've been able to, to get him in here. Um, Matt Robinson with you in the TCA studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada, across the table from our buddy Steve Bunda. What's happening, man? What's going on, Matty? You know what? It must be, uh, must be. you know, holidays are still kind of lingering a little <laughs> bit for some people. One, because it's January and we're, we're still doing this, but also, uh, well, Christmas stuff, I guess, but also because the Tolkien audio fans, they didn't see me sneak in today. It's kind of cold out there. Like, I and think it's snowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they hibernate a little bit during the winter. <laughs> like they were there around in Christmas time right before when yeah, they came yeah, on yeah. and we were talking about, you know, Arnold and Jingle All the Way and, yes. and all that stuff. They were there. But so far today, they're either sleeping or they're hiding from the weather out there because it is snowing once again. So it's uh, it's a fun day. How are you doing though, Matty? I'm doing all right, man. It's good to see you. It's good to have you back in here for the first time in, uh, in 2024, as I mentioned the last time you were in here. One of our... MVPs of 2023 and uh, and keeping the show up and running, especially through the summer. So we appreciate that. And I know somebody else who appreciates some of the nice things you've had to say on this podcast is our friend Angela Thompson from the Lake of Bays Brewing Company. And uh, just before Christmas, uh, she stopped by and dropped off some uh, some Christmas gifts in the form of Lake of Bays pints and uh, beers makes no enemies around the holidays. It's always a great gift, especially around here. I love beer. Yeah. And so uh, there was stuff for you, stuff for me, stuff for Rob. Um, but it was right before Christmas and frankly, I was busting out of town. The holiday seasons are tough. So we were able to give Rob his on, uh, his first uh, visit back in here after new year's, but, uh, yours have been sitting in the fridge waiting for you to be able to, uh, to get in here. We've been able to set that up. And so, um, these are, uh, what she's brought for us here is their mix pack, their holiday mix pack. Uh, and it's called toasty toes 2023. And we know we'll, mm. we'll be able to see why they're able to call it that here in a second when we crack into it. She had brought uh, the 2022 edition for me last year, uh, but this is uh, a six-pack that they do over the holiday season. And look, obviously, you've missed out now, good listener. Um, we are past the 2023 haul, but I am confident, because they've done this for a few years now, it will happen again in 2024. Uh, so keep an eye out for that around the holiday season. We will remind you of it. But this is another mix pack. It's There's six of them, three kind of holiday-themed beers, Two mystery beers and Bunda, a pack of socks. Oh yes, <laughs> that is, I guess, the toasty toast part of the uh, part of this. So uh, you and I have each gotten one of these six packs. Uh, thank you to Angela for hooking us up. I think I love you, Angela. Yeah, <laughs> I find myself thinking that a lot. Right, yeah. like um, there's a few different things in here. There's two mystery beers. There's a couple other things. I have decided I'm going to start with. It's called Reindeer Games, and uh, this is a holiday IPA. It's, a, it's, it's an American IPA, about 6%. It's supposed to be pretty hip. Oh, hip. It might be hip. I don't know. Pretty hoppy, <laughs> pretty crisp, as I have Kids crossed those it. words. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, that's what I'm going to ride with here to start with, is the uh, the Reindeer Games Holiday IPA. What's uh, mm. What do you got going there? See, I'm going to go with, well, one, I, I need to look at my socks because that's really cool. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I have Hulk Hogan or somebody on my socks because that is quite the beard with some shades um, and a Santa hat. Hollywood Hogan in a Santa hat. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I'm down for Christmas socks. So they're Lake of Bays Christmas socks. I yeah. love it. Um, and I'm going to go with Mystery Beer 
number two. Oh, There's two mystery beers in this. Yeah. yeah, and you know what? I was looking through, and you said you're going with the holiday IPA. I like the you know the blue can. Uh, sorry, the mystery beer number one is a blue can, and. Uh, just an update, uh, the Buccaneers beat the Philadelphia Eagles and in we super wildcard weekend, yes. and they're now facing the Lions on Sunday at 3 o'clock, yeah. so I'm not going to go for a blue can. That is the color okay. of the Lions, okay. so okay. I'm going with the gray can, or I'll call it pewter in this one, just because <laughs> I'm a Bucks fan, and they have the pewter on their yep. uniform, so yep. I'm going to go with mystery beer number two, so that is my reasoning of going to you know right. bypassing one, yep. two, two, so I'm going to give that one a shot. How is the holiday IPA? On first pull, pretty nice. Um, it does have that, that classic kind of IPA crispness to it right off the hop, right? Uh, it says that, you know, in the description, it's going to be a little bit bitter. I'm not getting that yet, but sometimes, you know, the first pull or two isn't completely, uh, indicative of what you're going to get the rest of the way, but I am enjoying it. It's pretty nice on, uh, on first pull. And I got to tell you, man, as this show has rolled on, cause for years and years and years, it takes a while to get noticed. And now, you know. We got friends at all kinds of different breweries around town, just oh, yeah. shoveling beers into the studio and taking good care of us, hooking us up. We love each and every one of you, but Angela Thompson is somebody who has, uh, especially over the last year, year and a half, uh, since she's gotten, uh, hooked up with the show. And that all stems from actually, um, I can't remember what the occasion was, but, uh, our buddy creature had me on TSN 1200. So it was probably something embarrassing. It happened to the Leafs and there's no shortage of, <laughs> of things that that could have Another been. Another day that ends in Y. Right. Um, and she had happened to be, uh, listening to 1200 at the time. And so he asked me about the show as well while he had me on, cause he's a good guy, allowed me to promote just a little bit. And so she reached out at that point and, uh, that's where that relationship all started. And so she's been cool to have on as a guest, uh, obviously cool to drop by with some holiday beers for us here. But, uh, what do you think of, uh, what are you getting from mystery beer number two? I feel like it's a Pilsner. It feels lighter. Okay. Uh, the, the hops aren't as much, but it's very smooth yeah. and very tasty. So, uh, it is a mystery, but as I look at some of the ingredients on it, uh, mystery beer number two, I would guess is a Pilsner. Okay. That's if, uh, if I'm any good at drinking beer, I might know this stuff. <laughs> oh, we know you're good at drinking it. Uh, yeah, you're good at identifying it. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I, I kind of want to do this game where I could just drink a bunch of mystery beers and see if I'm any good at it. <laughs> like in Napoleon Dynamite, where he knows the, you know, the defect in the glass of milk yeah, bleach. yeah this one tastes like a the cow got into a cabbage patch or something <laughs> like that like he knows the difference of every kind of different uh, flavor of milk i okay. wish i could do the same thing with beer but yeah i'll take another swig yeah um and so this is part of like i said in the holiday season i'm sure whether it was on their social media or uh, their website and we will link to all of that uh, in the show notes at talkinaudio.com or wherever you're hearing us right now. Uh, I'm sure there's a key somewhere where you can go and find out mm-hmm. what the mystery beer is uh, and what you just sampled. I do know that uh, and I think it's still ongoing. Again, we'll link to it. You're supposed to try both mystery beers and then vote on which one you liked the best on their website and then maybe that makes it more likely that it becomes a regular in their rotation or you know, it's part of their uh, their lineup. You sticking with Pilsner there after the second poll? It could be a light pale ale. A pale ale, yeah. yeah it's 4.1% too, so okay. it's on the lighter side, so that's where I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I don't drink a lot of pale ales or Pilsners. Mm-hmm. I'm more of the IPA. I like the stronger, the type. I like all beer. I do love like, a good Pilsner though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. this is very smooth, very good for right now, Yeah, and I'm just trying to figure out, I, but I, I'm going to lean toward the pale ale now. I had a, uh, a friend of mine over when uh, Angela brought these for me last year, and... Uh, I had unpacked the beer and the socks were sort of secondary in my mm-hmm. attention for obvious reasons. And I had a friend of mine drop by and she's looking at the socks. She's like, these are so cute. I can't wait for you to wear them. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm, she's like, can I have them? 
I was like, yeah, if you want them. So she took the socks last year. Uh, I told her, um, uh, you know, when I had seen what Angela brought, that there was another toasty toes pack. She's like, shotgun on the socks. So uh-huh. I'm not even sure I get to keep my socks, man. I'm, they might have already been spoken for. So. And you have different socks than I do. I have uh, kind of a black and blue, like I said, with a Hulk Hogan Santa yeah. on it. And you have some green ones there. It's more holiday themed, it looks like. I haven't torn them open totally yet. Uh, yeah, but they look very comfy, though. And, uh, you know, the one thing, too, is we have... Angela giving us this beer and all that, but it is good beer too. Great, oh, yeah. like oh, yeah. Lake of Bays, like these are good pints. I love them and uh, they're very tasty. So not only on top of that is she a sweetheart and giving us beer, but it's good beer too. That's 100%. always that's always good. And I've said a, a few different times before, very 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 early on in my days of trying craft beers, like we're talking maybe episode 13, 15 of the podcast, something in that very early days. Um, was where I found their Sparkhouse Red from Lake of Bays. And oh, yeah. it's a terrific beer to this day. It's one of my favorite craft beers. And so that's one of the ones that helped kind of hook me into the, the craft beer world. And so, uh, yeah, often enough when she comes by, and this time was no uh, no exception, she also brought me a couple of those. And uh, so that's what we're going to roll with here to start with. You got the mystery beer number two that we think is a pale ale. We'll be able to check on that. We'll link in the description to uh, all the notes that... Uh, uh, that might help us figure out exactly what it is. I have, uh, like I said, run with the Reindeer Games Holiday IPA. And I don't know, man, I guess I th- sort of thought I felt this way on like Boxing Day, the 27th. There's sort of that hangover on top of the literal hangover. But like, oh, the holidays are over hangover. Mm. Now the holidays are officially over. Like this is, it's January 16th as you and I sit here and record this. Pretty good chances is our last Christmas gift this year. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> if someone else has a Christmas gift waiting Still for me out around, there, yeah. just give it to me next year. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So if I'm uh, good enough, so shout out to the Lake of Bays brewery and our friend, uh, Angela Thompson for, for hooking us up here. And, uh, look, one of the things you and I love to talk about when we get you in here is the fight game and, and we are going to do that. Mm. Uh, but we're going to kick that down the road just a little bit. Cause you mentioned a big, uh, a big weekend for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, lots of drama around the Buffalo bills and that being postponed, the game didn't turn out to be overly dramatic. Mm. The Cowboys went down hard. Oh, dang. Uh, to the Packers. Yeah, I know a lot of people torn up about that. Um, why don't we start? You know, we don't have to go through each and every one of them, but I know the one that had your attention was the Buccaneers and the Eagles. Man, I, I don't know what you made of that game. The story of this Eagles season of being so dominant and so good early on, and then, I don't was it five straight they lost to close out the regular season? Yeah, uh, including last night. They've lost, uh, you know, set, like six of the last seven games. Brutal. Just yeah. brutal. And the second two seed to go down just mm. this weekend. Uh, what did you make of, you know, the, the Eagles and, and the Bucks and, and what, what played out? And were you surprised? Maybe you're the wrong guy to ask if you were surprised. You're a Bucks guy, but you can still recognize that one's supposed to be the favorite and it didn't pan out that way. What'd you see, man? Yeah, it, it's crazy too, because when the Bucks won the NFC South and locked down the four seed and then they, you know, I looked at it, you know, it was the Eagle, it was Bucks versus Cowboys at that point. The Eagles, yeah. all they needed to do was win a game down the stretch and they were going to lock down first place in the NFC least, but instead <laughs> they didn't. The Cowboys ended up passing them and, and locking down that number two seed and, and kind of forced them into that five seed. And so uh, for an 11 win team, you know, everyone's talking about how good the Eagles were. And it's like, you go back, the Bucks and the Eagles played week three and and it was no contest. Like their trenches were so much better. The Eagles were so much better defensively, offensively. They just, you know, they made the Bucks look like clowns. And it was they were <laughs> that was a big test. And like that's the where they kind of thrive is in their trenches. They have a real good offensive line and a nasty D line. And last night, just watching that game compared to week three, night and day. 
And I don't know if it was uh, something going on, but if you look at the whole it was super wild card weekend is what they tout it. But you go through the weekend, it was very much, you know, the main headlines were the NFC, <laughs> NFC least teams, yeah. you know, with the Cowboys losing. Okay. How do you lose at home when they were undefeated at home to a Packers team that, uh, you know, has a young quarterback in his first playoff game. Yep. You know, there's so much going on. You go to the Eagles game against the box. It's like, okay, the Eagles are a team that was in the Super Bowl last year. You know, I bet it just seems like a team that quit on Nick Sirianni. And Matt Patricia being the defensive coordinator, that defense had no answers for a Bucks team that didn't even play that great. They had like six or seven drops last night, yeah. and it should have been a different score. The Bucks could have won that game, you know, fifty to seven. Like it was crazy. <laughs> it was it was so they were just the Bucks didn't even play that great at certain times, and they still just made Philadelphia look like nothing out there. And I feel like a lot of it is just you know missed tackles, like you know not caring, like they just didn't seem. Like they were playing for their coaches or their, their their teammates anymore. Like it just is that all. Like I'm curious, did we dramatically overrate the Eagles coming into this season when they started so hot? And as you pointed out, look, they made the Super Bowl last year, so mm-hmm. obviously we had reason to believe they were going to be pretty good. Were we saying early in the season that they were better than they were down the stretch? Were they? You know, what would have made their players turn off of their coaches? Were they not as bad as they seemed? Like. Uh, it, it it's a tale of two different seasons for mm-hmm. the Eagles. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that they res- like they were rightful to earn uh, the respect they were given. Like yeah. Jalen Hurts, uh, you know, dealing with some injuries throughout some of this year. Like they dealt with a lot of injuries. AJ Brown didn't play. Yeah, that hurt them a lot. Having that second receiver it kept the Bucks into a spot where, uh, and they even struggled at times. But trying to double Jalen, uh, you know, um, sorry, Devonte Smith on the outside, and he still got by them a couple times, yeah. which is so good. But, uh, you know, their running game, they just kind of abandoned that in the first. And, you know, the Bucks, you know, they got thrashed in the in their week three uh, game where they just ran all over the Bucks, And it looked like in this sense that, you know, the Eagles were ready to try and run the game, uh, run the ball a bit. And the Bucks just had, you know, five-man fronts that were just, no, we're going to plug these holes and you're not running on us. So you got to beat us deep with Devontae Smith or Dallas Goddard. And, you know, they also struggled with, you know, blitzing them uh, so much that they just they couldn't pick up the blitz and you're forcing Jalen Hurts to throw the ball early and yeah. I think that uh, you know the Bucks played good they had a great uh, game plan uh, I think that they could have been a lot better on offense especially <laughs> uh, but you know what a win's a win and for the Eagles I, like I said I just look at a team that you know defensively they didn't want to play for Matt Patricia and you hear rumors and stories you know he walks into a you know a locker room and when he was the head coach with the Lions and then he went back to the Patriots and when he went to the Patriots he like you know got rid of their ping pong table in the dressing room and he's doing all this stuff and he just never seems to be a guy that a lot of players love or want to play for. Right. Nick Sirianni just kind of rubs everybody the wrong way. He's yelling at fans. He's chirping. And it just seemed like a team that something had happened locker room wise, player wise, something happened at somewhere, you know, a couple of weeks back, probably seven or eight weeks back, halfway through the year. And it just never righted the, it just never righted itself. It yeah. was just always kind of going downhill, whether it be with injuries or just the way the team was pre- preparing or playing. Their game plans were completely different. It was just a different team than the early on team that we saw in the season or even last year in the Super Bowl. So what about the Bucs? Because I, I think there was some concern that when Brady stepped away, this team might take a big step back and they have mm-hmm. rebounded quickly, right? Like they're now, you know, a pretty good squad again. Um, you know, Tom Brady draws a lot of attention. And so when he steps away, maybe the pressure comes off a little and allows them mm-hmm. rebuild is overstating it, right? They didn't yeah, have to retool. tear the whole thing down. Yeah. Retool is fair. Um, what have you made of, of how they've been able to, and again, I don't want to say turn it around, but like 
defy expectations a little bit. That was like, oh, the Brady era is over. They're going to have to take a step back. And yet here they are. They've moved through the the super wild card weekend and right. into the super. Right. It's it's not just any wild card weekend. This is a super wild card weekend. Mm. They're back into the divisional round. I don't know how far you're expecting them to go, but are you surprised with how resilient they've been in the post Brady era? Um. Yeah, a little bit. In, in parts, yes and no. I saw a lot of uh, you know predictions of them being you know one of the worst teams in the NFL this year. Yeah. There was not a lot of belief in Baker Mayfield, even for <laughs> myself. At one point, halfway through the year, I was done with him. I was kind of over what he did, and I was like, you know what? Let's just you know not try and win the NFC South. Let's get a quarterback, and then you know they started to learn. Like the Bucks came into this year, as you said, no Tom Brady, so they needed to bring in a quarterback. And Baker Mayfield, they showed the stat last night in his six seasons, he's had eight different head coaches <laughs> because two interim coaches have came in. Right. Like he has had like a different offensive coordinator every year. And the Bucks brought in Dave Canales from Seattle, who is uh, calling plays for his first time in his career mm-hmm. as the offensive coordinator for the Bucks, working with Baker Mayfield. Um, the one thing that I always said though is the Bucks were too good of a team to be as bad as everybody expected they you know there was a lot of people said they finished dead last in the NFL and you know bottom five team and I thought that they had enough there I thought at some point throughout the year that they were kind of quitting on their coaches too they just didn't seem to kind of have great game plans uh play calling was never very good uh you know Baker Mayfield at the time was questionable like his stats are are pretty good for the season but you know watching them there's a lot of times where he doesn't like you know the eye test isn't what you see through the stats so I was kind of very okay. I don't really know he's what to make of this. He's not instilling a lot of confidence in the fan base. Yeah, right? like in the way he's doing. He's it's getting done, but it doesn't feel like it's getting done, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the Bucks have too much of a veteran team that has a lot of guys left from that 2021 Super Bowl yeah. win that they had against the Chiefs. You know, during the pandemic, I guess the 2020 season, but the 2021 Super Bowl yeah. uh, from that team are still there, and, and they got a lot of pieces that you can kind of build and have that veteran leadership from that they're using. And I feel like their defense, especially has led the way the last few weeks. They did a great job, uh, you know, against Atlanta, even though Atlanta hasn't been very good, Carolina as well. Uh, then they, you know, against the Eagles, the Eagles, um, like last night, they didn't have any answers for their blitzing. They just didn't. And I think that the Bucks are a spot where uh, Todd Bowles has always done a good job of scheming up for certain games. You know, we've seen it uh, in the Super Bowl when he held Patrick Mahomes touchdownless. You know, yeah, they, yeah. he did, a, and they just smoked them. So he's a very good defensive coordinator. At times, uh, you know, I, I like how risky he's been. Last night, the Bucks going for it, uh, you know, in the second quarter on fourth and one. Like I love that going for it on fourth down. Like just showing the confidence yeah, in your team. Yeah, be aggressive in, in a big game in a big moment, and it worked out. I think the Bucks are a team that uh, you know the Lions. They've already played as well. Yeah, early on in the season, and the uh, Lions beat the Bucks. It's going to be a much different matchup. I, I, I'm expecting a lot tougher game. I think the Bucks can go as far as they want to kind of go like they're a team that I wouldn't be surprised to see them go to the Super Bowl and I know I'm a Bucks fan so uh, I just think that they have those good pieces out there guys like Antoine Winfield Jr. uh, He was snubbed by the Pro Bowl but he was a first team all pro he's probably one of the best I think guys love to be snubbed by the Pro Bowl (laughs) yeah I mean and that's a thing where people joke about it but it's just kind of like yeah there's uh, you still want the recognition whether you want to go he's in a contract year he's in a contract year this year where like I said he's first team all pro uh, voted on by the league and the players like he's vote like this is a 
guy that is well known as one of the best safeties in the league. Right. And he missed out on a Pro Bowl spot to Buda Baker, who has zero stat lines, zero picks, <laughs> zero forced fumbles. Like, yeah. had z- like he has zeros across his board, like Sam Mitchell would give you. But uh, <laughs> like this guy, it's like okay, so when he's out there, he's leading. They still got guys like Levante David, who's played you know like fifty years in the NFL, but he's still playing so good. He's one of my favorite players ever. Uh, middle linebacker, you know, they have guys that are around that team, Mike Evans, like veteran guys in every kind of position where I think that they can lead them in a certain way. Yeah. Like they have a very veteran secondary as well with Carlton Davis and Jamal Dean. I can go on about the Bucks. We could do a Bucks podcast. We don't need to do that. I even know that the Talkin <laughs> Audio fans don't need to hear it either. But I do think the Bucks could go as far as they want. It, it, this is a team that I think is very good, has some veteran leadership, and it's going to come down to Baker Mayfield and, and play calling. And, you know, the offensive line is the biggest question mark, I think. And last night the Eagles kind of got to them a good bit, but uh, we'll see if they can hold, uh, you know, the Lions uh, back a bit so it'll be a good game though them versus the Lions and uh you know like I said though from super wild card weekend the two biggest storylines were for sure the Eagles losing more than the Bucks winning and the Cowboys yeah. you know losing at home to the Packers so well, and we'll we'll get to them in just a second and as you mentioned like there's nothing that tells me that I might be out of touch with the NFL more than the, the Detroit Lions winning a playoff game. I'm like, wait, that's not supposed to happen. What born, have I missed? Or, right? Like, what, what's happening? We were barely born last time right, they won a playoff exactly. game. So um, they do get by and they're moving on as well. Uh, but we do have a large segment of uh, of the audience, obviously being an Ontario-based podcast that lis- uh, that loves the Buffalo Bills. And that, there was some drama around that game, right? When it was going to get played, the weather, is it going to get moved to Mercedes-Benz Stadium down in Atlanta? Um the governor of New York says we don't want to play on, was it scheduled for Saturday or Sunday? Sunday. It was for Sunday afternoon, yeah. Yeah, and it gets moved to Monday afternoon. Luckily, in the U.S., it was a long weekend for Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Day. So um, they move it to 4.30 on Monday, and they get that game in. The weather doesn't end up being, in the at least in the, the results or at least in the score, doesn't turn out to be a huge factor, uh, but it was a factor in everything that went around trying to get that game done. And the the Bills get done. And it, it really, other than maybe a couple of minutes, I, you'd remember probably better than I would towards the end of the third quarter, looked like the Steelers might make it a little interesting. Mm. But the Bills ultimately controlled this and, and rolled all the way through. Was there ever any doubt in your mind? Like, the Bills had had a really up-and-down season, too. But the Steelers didn't look like they were going to put up much of a fight here right like yeah it was it was hard putting a lot of uh, faith in mason rudolph <laughs> yeah. to beat the the buffalo bills and the bills of rudolph been... is part of these reindeer games that i'm currently enjoying. <laughs> no, I was gonna say, and i'm also leaning towards i'm pretty sure this is a pale ale okay i'm pretty sure that a boy um but yeah when i look at the bills they're a team that was uh you know they seem to know when to right the ship and that's the thing they've yeah. done lately yeah uh, you know they've been playing playoff football feels like since week 10 um and they've been doing a real good job so i think that uh when i looked at the game yesterday i was wasn't really worried about it. I thought the storylines heading into the game was cool. Like, you know, they weren't sure how much snow they were going to yeah. get. Then they were paying fans $20 yeah, an hour <laughs> in a free lunch. So if you do the conversion, if you're a Bills fan, you wanted to go do that, it'd be 28 bucks an hour, I think, or so. Just to shovel snow and you get a free lunch. Well, right. especially if you live in like the Niagara region of, yeah. of Canada, get down there's more like 38 bucks an hour, like it's not about 34 bucks an well, hour. Well, that's what I mean. 20, 20 bucks an hour is pretty good to yeah. be doing that. Although but, I don't uh, know if you have your work visa. Does it, do you need one of those to cross from Niagara, Canada into Buffalo to shovel snow? I just got them to pay you cash. <laughs> Uh, but it's it was uh, it was a game where I think everybody kind of knew that 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 would be the kind of outcome. Steelers made it a little bit more interesting towards the end of the game, but yep. I was never worried uh, about them. I, I thought that this was a game. The Bills uh, have a lot to worry about this week when they take the Chiefs. Yeah, uh, but I think that uh, you know seeing them. No, I guess the Steelers, I've seen this crazy stat, and now I guess I'm jumping ahead a little bit. That's, that's what we'll okay. Do here. That's fine. That all of 
Allen's wins have come at home and uh, his playoff wins, excuse me. And Mahomes has never had to play a road playoff game. Mm-hmm. Weighing anything into that? Read any, do you care at all? Do you think that matters at all in the next round? Or is this, you know, it's kind of interesting, but maybe it doesn't mean much. I, I don't think it means a lot, but for, for Josh Allen, you know, he'll take the elements. The only problem is, is it, it's not much. It, like you talk about the Chiefs, they played the Dolphins and it was like the coldest game. Yeah. One of the, I think the third coldest game yeah. in NFL history, uh, even though, you know, it was just not much of a game either. Uh, the Dolphins didn't show up well, and, and everybody kind of thought beat that up in that game. Right. Like I don't, I'll, I'll be curious to see who's available for, for the next round. They, they had some. Mm-hmm. Hard hits, some injuries, guys leaving the game. For sure. And that's the thing. Nobody wants to get tackled when it's cold. No. Either. So uh, Bills versus uh, Chiefs is going to be a cold outdoor game, right? It's it's January. We're going to yep. be excited to see something like that. But, um, you know, Mahomes is that guy that, you know, it, it goes to show for him, like, you know, winning the AFC East all the time. Like he's going to, uh, you know, make sure that they're out there. They're going to get some big wins. Um, but they're they're winning their division and getting all the home games. Like, sure, yep. he didn't have a home game against the Bucks in the playoff in the Super Bowl though, because I was in Tampa and and uh, right. But at least Tom that's, Brady was there. And in uh, theory, yeah. the Super Bowl is a neutral site game. It didn't turn out to be exactly bad. exactly. Yeah. But it was like a, a home victory for the Bucks in yep. that sense. That was the first one ever. So that that's just kind of how rare it is. But yeah, sorry, I said the AFC East. It's the AFC West. The Bills are in the AFC East. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, this is going to be a fun game to watch because I think this like. Bills, Chiefs, like Allen versus Mahomes, like, you know, Allen has been one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but he turns the ball over so much. Mm-hmm. And the Chiefs do a great job uh, with Spagnolo, Spagnolo's defense of just getting after and disguising blitzes. But uh, the Chiefs are good. They're very good. And I think that this is a sense where I thought the Dolphins could have beat the Chiefs if they were going to be able to run the ball. The Chiefs' run game isn't very good. So I assume we'll see maybe a little bit more out of James Cook on the Bills' side of things yeah. and maybe a little bit more of a running game, uh, especially if it is a colder weather game too. So I'm I'm going to see how that one goes, but uh, I'm, you know, for Mahomes, I'm not surprised. The guy just kind of keeps getting things done. He's, he's going to be one of those quarterbacks we talk about for the rest of our lives kind of yeah. thing. And I think he's just so good when it matters, but uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how he handles being on the road for the first time yep. in Buffalo. Cause everyone knows Bill's mafia can be pretty wild. <laughs> so it'll be pretty fun to see it and kind of test him in that kind of an element. We'll see if there's any more blizzards rolling through Rob and I talked about on the Monday morning show, the thought that. If I'm getting power bombed through a flaming table, I'm pretty happy about a snowbank underneath, right? Immediately yeah. cool me right off. Now's so. the time to be yeah, a, exactly. a you know a Bills fan that wants to go through a table. <laughs> um, let's get to it. The uh, the Cowboys and Packers was I was going to say fascinating. It wasn't fascinating. Mm. It, it was a shit kicking from day one. And I talked to our buddy Lever over in Italy last week. He was on the podcast, and he was pretty honest about that. He liked. The Cowboys, obviously, he's a Cowboys fan. He said, I, I like what they have. I think they could be fine. But he goes, out of all the matchups that we could have seen here, the Packers was the team that he least wanted to see. And we went into that in detail. If people want to check it out, it's up on the, the Talk and Audio podcast feed, or you can visit talkandaudio.com and find it there for all the reasons that that was. But I don't think even because Cowboys fans, a little like Leafs fans, much like the Cowboys are a little like the Leafs. Mm-hmm. In that they're kind of neurotic. Even when you should consider yourself the heavy favorite, you have no confidence that you're the favorite. And he turned out to be completely correct to be worried about the Green Bay Packers, who rolled the Cowboys. No problem. I don't know what your prediction was going into that game, who you saw winning it, but I'm quite sure there's no way you would say you saw that coming, that that lambasting coming. 
No, I didn't see them dropping, uh, the Packers dropping 48 points, almost 50, (laughs) like a 50 spot on the Cowboys. You know, and like I said, you know, the way that things were working out, the Eagles kind of choked away the NFC East there and and gave it to the Cowboys. I was expecting the Bucks versus Cowboys in week one, wild card, uh, super wild card weekend. Sorry, can't say it without saying super. Um, (laughs) But, you know, they kind of just, you know, the Cowboys were a team too. Like, they were one of the better teams in a little while. The Packers, too, down the stretch. The reason I thought the Cowboys were going to win this game is I thought, you know, Dak and, uh, has been, un, like, they've been so good at home, undefeated at home. Like, that was their first home loss. Yeah, yeah. And it was in the wild card, super wild card weekend. Like, it's it's kind of crazy to see something like that happen because there's so much faith there. And, and Cowboys fans, like you said, they think they're always so much better than they are at some points. And I think that, uh, that you know, that game kind of surprised me just seeing, uh, you know, Matt LaFleur be able to take a guy like Jordan Love in his first ever playoff game into that environment. Cowboys Nation is probably uh, pretty wild for him to go through, but uh, to him, ha- for him to have the kind of game that he did, which yeah. was basically a perfect game, three uh, three touchdowns, no interceptions, over two hundred yards passing, like two hundred and seventy, like this guy was awesome. But Aaron Jones ran the ball like a hundred yards rushing, three touchdowns. Like it just feels like the Cowboys kind of just choked this this game away, and they didn't have answers for them. And I think that was something that kind of surprised me a little bit more than I was expecting, right? Um, just because I thought the Cowboys were a team that was, you know. This was one of their years where I was like, you know, they actually have a real good, like, kind of well-rounded the path team here. was there, too, yeah. right? Like, there was a reasonable path, and they, yeah. they botched it in yeah. a pretty substantial and way. And Cowboys-Packers are, you know, two teams that are very historic and legendary. Yep. So, you know, huge fan bases, lots of passion there. Um you know, I like the. F- I love seeing upsets. I love underdogs. Sure. Um, I don't really care. I, I'm happy to see the Cowboys lose sometimes. <laughs> it's funny uh, just to see how upset every- and everybody gets. And you know, I do believe that Mike McCarthy has just he seems to be the guy that just can't get it done when it matters. And it's kind of what is happened. He gone, you think? I think I think he is because I think that Bill Belichick is available, and I think that Jerry Jones wants oh to throw my. money at somebody. Like he's got. You know, there's so much. Was that can it the happen. Falcons who tweeted out on Monday that they had interviewed? Yeah, Belichick. I don't know that that's a fit. Necessarily, I don't think so either. Yeah, I don't. I I don't know why. Uh, I, I mean, that defense is really good. I think in Atlanta, and I think they're a young team that's on the upswing. And I maybe think this that, is an NFL thing because you know, I'm kind of, I don't know, casual or passive about it. Mm-hmm. It is odd that you tweet out, like the team tweets out, we interviewed Bill Belichick, especially. Like, if you think you're not going to make that move or that he might not be interested in you legitimately or that you're not actually going to do it, maybe you tweet that out so your fans go, okay, like, we're looking at the biggest possible fish. But it it seems odd to just be like, yes, we interviewed that guy. Like, that's a weird thing to tweet, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, we see it a lot. Teams kind of put that out there every every kind of interview. Like, it's kind of something that happens, but it is like the NBA doesn't do that. The NHL doesn't do that. Like, it's It's weird. It is weird a little bit. Yeah. It's, I, it is weird. It happens, though, a lot. It does happen very one often. One of the things that Lever and I talked about going into that Packers-Cowboys game was that don't let them hang around. And this, again, this isn't exactly the way it panned out. But, like, you're talking about a young quarterback in, in Jordan Love. You're talking about a, a young team. And they have nothing to lose. And so the longer this is kind of a knife fight or back and forth, whether it's low scoring or whether you're going blow for blow and it's a higher scoring game, the longer the Packers stay in it, mm-hmm. the more the Cowboys start to feel like, oh my God, we're those Cowboys, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is about to happen to us too. And the Packers start going, those guys, those fucking guys are choked. The, even though the roster isn't the same, that name, that logo is known for choking in big moments. We can do this. And so I sort of thought the Packers' only path to victory was something like that. Hold it really tight all the way to the fourth quarter and get the last blow. 
And it didn't turn out to be that at all. From minute one, the Packers were better and just rolled right over them. Yeah, and it, and like I said, in every way, like I said, passing-wise, Romeo Dubes had uh, over 100 yards and a touchdown. Aaron Jones, over 100 yards, three touchdowns. Yeah. You know, it, with it, with Jordan Love throwing the ball, like it seems like they've he's really kind of just progressed throughout the year, and he's gotten a lot more comfortable being a full-time starter. Yeah. Kind of look, uh, you know, I go back to the Bucks and Baker Mayfield and Dave Canales having a new offensive coordinator and a new quarterback. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a few weeks, and that's the thing. Like, you know, he's been there in that system for Green Bay for a little while, but maybe it was a slower start than people expected. And, you know, the NFC, uh, you know, that NFC division uh, with the Packers was kind of choked by the Vikings uh, to see how that kind of went. But with the NFC North kind of being the way it was, the Packers still finished second. Yep. And, you know, now they get this big win. But, you know, you kind of look at how that all went and it's like, all right, I'm not sure I'm kind of fully bought into the Packers. The Bucks played them, you know, I think it you know, weeks 15 or 16. I can't remember which week exactly. And they kind of went into Green Bay and they beat up on the Packers. So I was like, all right, I don't know how much I believe in this Packers team, but seeing them going to Dallas and win there the way that they did, it kind of just goes to show the confidence that Jordan Love has. He's a very gifted and athletic quarterback, oh, yeah. and I think that this is a team, I've again, defensively I'm not totally sold on the Packers. They still gave up 32 points, but again, Cowboys are one of the best offensive teams in the league, so I uh, I looked at that as, a, okay, I'm not really sure what this matchup was, but I still have my side like thinking, well, the Cowboys have a good defense. They have a good offense. They're the more well-rounded team. They should win that game. But the fact that they lost that game, like you said, <laughs> to me, is more of a choking thing, and yeah. I'm just like, what, what? Mike McCarthy just kind of seems to never like. Last year they beat the uh, the Bucks in Super Wild Card Weekend, but again, like that was a team that was not not healthy, not good. Tom Brady, like they retired Tom Brady, cool. They could raise that banner all they want, sure. but then they ended up losing the following week. So yeah. it, you know, the Cowboys are a team that I think that with Dak Prescott there, you kind of need to make this move now. You're either going to believe in Mike McCarthy, but you know he's been you know for the last few years not looking very much like a guy that can get it done when it matters. No. It looked like that with him in Green Bay when it kind of came to an end. And they ended up moving to Matt LaFleur. Um, and now I look at the sense of, well, what are they going to do? Well, Jerry Jones loves a big splash yeah, move. He's got yeah. the money. He's got whatever he wants. If he wants Bill Belichick, he's bringing Bill Belichick in if he wants to go there. So last thing on the NFL before we move into the uh, into the fight game. We're going to see Packers-Niners this weekend. And as I've said, I'm sort of a more casual NFL fan. That's why I bring people like you in who know what you're talking about more than I do when we, we got to cover these things. And I'm, I'm curious. One of the th- reasons that the, 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 the Packers Cowboys not just had my attention because of our, our buddy Lee and whether or not he was going to be left and, and Mendez and, and a lot of people we know just having a tough, a lot of Cowboys fans yeah, having a tough couple of days now. But those are two marquee franchises, right? Like legendary franchises yeah. in the NFL. Cowboys, Packers. And we're about to do it again. Packers, Niners. Those are huge names in the NFL. They are major marquee matchups. Is that, obviously for you as a fan, the Bucks will be where your attention is. But is Packers, Niners the biggest, for us casual fans, is that the biggest matchup in this next round? That's a tough one um, because Bill's Chiefs is is very yeah, a, a yeah. two marquee quarterbacks, well, especially but, here in Ontario, right? Like who yeah. sort of have adopted the Bills as their team. It's yeah, but two two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. If you yeah. want to go one yeah. and two, it'd probably be Mahomes and Josh Allen. Josh Allen turns the ball over a lot, but he's still you know QB one for most people. He led the league in touchdowns. Right, um, like this, this that guy gets it done. Um, you know, Bucks versus Lions is probably going to be the four seed of the four games. Though, so, like you know your yeah. your top three. Um, 
I, I think I'll leave that game as the number one, but it's tough because C.J. Stroud, what he did with the Texans yeah. and, and what they just did over the weekend as well, you know, they dummied a very good Browns defense, like a very, very good Browns defense. And Joe Fly, I, I didn't think they would be able to no. kind of compete offensively. And sure, they had two pick sixes against uh, Joe Flacco, but um, that one, Ravens, Texans. Flacco turned into an old man fast. Yeah, very fast, <laughs> very fast. And it's kind of or back into an old man, I guess I should yeah. say. <laughs> it's kind of funny how that works out, right? Like how he kind of joined the team and brought them along. But the Ravens have been a real good team all season. And this is you go back a year ago where they didn't even know if they wanted to keep Lamar Jackson. Yeah, they didn't know yeah. what was going on there. Uh Odo Beckham Jr. was brought in. They drafted Zay Flowers. Their defense has still been very good. Uh and they've, you know, kind of always struggled to keep running backs healthy. Very much a Ravens thing. And yeah. they ended up getting Dalvin Cook after they kind of he got cut from the Jets and now he's there. So they have a running back. But I, uh, I like this idea of the, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson is, you know, that guy that's been around for a while. He's an MVP winner, but you have the wrong, young rookie quarterback, you know, going into Baltimore. It's going to be a very tough environment. I still think the Ravens win that game, but it's going to be a very entertaining game. I think that uh, uh, what we see a lot of with the Texans, they just have so much energy uh, coming down and, and throughout every single player when they're out there. And it really comes from their head coach. And I love to see that. And I just love to see how aggressive they are um, with the ball. Right. And CJ Stroud, I think, is just so underrated um, within the pocket. Like, he's just so good. But D'Amico Ryans has really done a good job of helping yeah. build that team with CJ Stroud going number one last year. And then they went and they grabbed Anderson. So they have a good guy on the defense. So, like, a young guy there. I think that's going to be a very interesting game that, I, that, you know, we could see an upset there, but I'm not sure we do. So I look at Packers, Niners, and I say, you know, fan wise, that's probably game number two. But I think game wise, that's. For smart football fans, yeah. Like you, you know, that's not the one. Like for somebody like me, a casual NFL guy, I'm going to be drawn to those teams. You're saying there are better games out there. Yeah, it's going to be tough because there's a. I think, like I said, there's the one, two, and three slots. Uh, even the Bucks first lines is going to be an interesting game. Yeah, but that's again, I'm a Bucks fan and yeah, I care yeah. more about that. Sure, uh, but that's an interesting game, I think, for me. But when you look at the one, two, three slot of the four games that we're going to have this weekend, I think you could interchange any of them, and it's going to be an entertaining, wild game. I still think number one is uh, Bills Chiefs, but yeah. uh, Packers Niners is going to be very eventful because I'm not like right now uh, the Niners should roll, right? Well, they have a nine. Their Vegas has them as a yeah. nine and a half point favorite, right. which is kind of ridiculous. But the Packs the, also got to be feeling pretty fucking. Well, that's good what right I mean. Now. I don't know how Vegas is giving them a nine and a half point yeah, spread yeah. here, but uh, this is crazy. And I think that, uh, you know, the Niners have kind of cooled down from the team that they were earlier on the year. They've right. kind of been figured out a little bit. Brock Purdy's kind of came, like, it seems like some defensive kind of started to figure out Brock Purdy a little bit. And look, the San Francisco 49ers are a team that's built around all of their weapons and their defense is really good. Yeah. Uh, but when they have guys uh, like Christian McCaffrey, who, you know, himself should be an MVP candidate and, yeah. you know, Brock Purdy is a guy that's done very good, but Debo Samuel has been so good. Brandon Ayuk is so good. George Kittle is so good. You don't have to do much for uh, if you're Brock Purdy in that spot. So when I look at the Packers defense, what are they going to be able to do to kind of make him uncomfortable? Because that's the one thing we haven't really seen a lot no, of is you're right. Brock Purdy being uncomfortable. On the Packers side of things, Jordan Love, well, this is going to be very tough. Like The Niners defense is very yeah. aggressive. They're very intense. They're in your face. They have a great defensive line. So this is going to be a very intense game for him on the road. It's going to be a lot warmer, though, than he's expecting what it would have been in Green <laughs> Bay. So he's happy to be playing in California. Yeah. I'll tell you that, but that's a game I, I'm. Uh, I think that uh, you could either flip, you know, two and three between the Texans and Ravens, 
Um, just because the quarterback play, like I said, CJ Stroud has been so good mm-hmm. and he's just such a fun guy to watch, just kind of pick apart defenses. They get injured though. They lost Tank Dell. They lost Noah Brown. So you were kind of seeing the Nico Collins kind of coming out party. And I think he's one of the more underrated receivers in the league, but on the Raven side of things, things are really good there too. So it's going to be a real exciting game. I think that one has the, you know, the opportunity to be a team, uh, kind of a game that gets out of hand yeah. and a very exciting game to watch. I could see Packers Niners being kind of a low key game, hmm. uh, just seeing how things go. So I think either of those two games are going to be exciting to watch, but it's hard to unseed Bills, Chiefs, sure. just because of all the times that they've played each other over the years and how quick, how, how those games just come down to the wire. All of the and there's something cool about watching Northern NFL games outside, right? Like, oh it's, yeah, like Absolutely. sometimes it hurts the product in terms of like the ability to have a good throwing game through the air or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's still like the backdrop is cool, the environment is cool. Sure, it, it, it introduces something different. And, and so. when you look at it too, you know, uh, you go to the Dolphins versus the sorry, the Dolphins versus. Um, uh, when the Dolphins played on the weekend against uh, the Chiefs, Chiefs yeah. right? Like that game was the third coldest game ever. And, you know, people are saying, well, the Dolphins are used to cold weather. I could tell you one thing, too. No one's used to the third coldest game. Like when it's, mi- <laughs> what was it, like minus 30? Like, yeah. Yeah, it was like minus 30, felt like whatever. It was like, you well, know. Rob and I talked about that on the Monday show, too. Like, uh, obviously, just in general, for everybody, super cold game. But like, how. M- it makes a difference for the fans. I don't know how much yeah. of a difference it makes for the players. Sure, Mahomes is used to playing outdoors more than uh, in the north and in the cold more than Tua, who went to school in Hawaii and or grew up in Hawaii, right? Like, it makes mm-hmm. a bit of a difference. But how many of those receivers for Kansas City went to school in Alabama or Mississippi or Florida or USC? And how many of the, you know, the 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 Dolphins guys went to school at Notre Dame and whatever? Like, there is. It's not as simple as just where your team is from. It's what yeah. your guys are used to, right? And no one is used to being that cold. No. Right? Like, that's the thing. Like, it's, it's your bones be... feel like they're going to shatter when it... someone hits you at minus 30 degrees. Yeah, you don't want to move. You want to be inside. <laughs> no, like, they, had Taylor, they had uh, someone scraping the window where Taylor Swift was watching the game from, <laughs> uh, which who, she's uh, Travis Kelsey's girlfriend, yes. if you uh, I people had, don't know. I, I'd, had meant, I'd heard that a time or two. I've also heard she's ruining football, which is a shame. Uh, uh, nobody really cares. She's, <laughs> so... just there. she's just there with her, her cool coat that she she made uh, yes. as she was walking in with Travis Kelsey's name and number <laughs> on it. But no one's used to these cold weather games. Yeah. And, and like you said, like you know, Tyree Kill played uh, how many seasons in, in Kansas City before he went over to Miami? Right. Like, there's like uh, these guys play in cold environments. Some of them do, some of them don't. Yeah. Nobody it's is not ready. It's as simple for... as, hey, this is where the team is from. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's, it's a tough adjustment regardless. 100%. So, uh, but no, that's a game too where you go back throughout the years, uh, Bills versus Chiefs. Sorry, that, that's the game of the weekend for sure. Okay. Uh, look, it's going to be an interesting weekend in the NFL. It's also going to be an interesting weekend in the fight game. We'll get to that in just a second. We got uh, some fights to talk about, but uh, first we've grabbed uh, another pint here. We're sticking with uh, Lake of Bays. Which one do you grab out of the pack there? Yeah, I'm going to go with the On the Hunt uh, Pilsner. Nice. It's an Italian-style Pilsner yeah. with a wolf who's howling at the moon, which is pretty cool. I yeah. like that. Um, it's green. With some uh, some oh, some birds are on there too. Okay, okay. Uh, but it's a pilsner, and mainly I wanted to just get a little bit of pilsner in me to see if I could notice that. Uh, All right, the, the last difference between I, the pale exactly. ale and the pilsner. I like so that. So if yeah. I could tell that this tastes very much the same, I'll go back to my original take, which it was a pilsner. Yeah. And if it uh, tastes uh, a lot different, then I'll say, okay, it probably is a pale ale. I am right. So this one I grabbed was not part of our pack. This is one uh, you know Angela had uh, had brought in like I said before the holidays. And it had been calling my name for the last couple of shows because I really wanted to try this one. But I knew when you were uh, when you were coming in here, you and I would get into some Lake of Bay stuff. So I saved it for that. This has been uh, tucked in the fridge. It was part of. I'll Matt. be honest. She brought drink you know, me, man. Yeah, exactly. There was Why some of that are you going on. Passing me, man. <laughs> right. There was some of that going on, but. Um, 
you know, on, 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 on the side of my, uh, my toasty toes pack there, she brought me a couple other little ones here to, okay. to check out. So what you got? This is, uh, the last run white IPA and it's certainly themed after, you know, a, a ski trip, right. Or, uh, getting down the hill and, uh, what you might sit down and drink after that. And just the idea, like, you know, I'm a stout guy, but I like trying to white stout, right? Like uh, the different things like I don't that. Think like I've that ever little... tried a white stout. Oh man, you got to, got to. There's some, uh, some of them are really awesome. You can add a few different flavors that stick out a little more if it's, if it's white like that. Anyway, I'm not an expert on these things. I just enjoy them. Know something about the idea of the white IPA that I really wanted to try. So that's what this is. 6% last run white IPA out of the Lake of Bays Brewing Company. We're, uh, we're going to roll with that one here through the, the second half of the show. Perfect. And I'm going to try this. Pilsner here. Mm-hmm. How do you like the first uh, sip of? Uh, we almost had a repeat there. Of yeah, a I was going to say uh, we need a bib for uh, Maddie over here, but uh, that's a good that's a good haul too, though. Yeah. How's she tasting? We're just cleaning up a little because it had a little. Uh, it, it started coming at me fast <laughs> again, which I don't remember. Uh, oh, it was one of the. Uh, it seems like it's a me thing. No, the golf course was the last one that did this. Remember, you brought me one off of. Uh, uh, CJ was hooking us up with something from, uh, I can't even remember now. Read of you. Yeah. Was yeah. But I can't longer? remember the brewery, but whatever it was, I, I cracked it and it just started foaming and foaming and foaming and foaming and I'm drinking it as fast as I can, but it's, it's hitting my shirt. It's hitting whatever. This one wasn't quite that. Mm-hmm. I am a little surprised it spat at me at all. Cause it's been sitting in the fridge there, uh, steady for, for a bit, but sometimes like it happens. is a me thing though, because, uh, the last couple of times I had, right. The beer last time I tried to open. Oh yeah. I ripped the tab. I had to use a, I think that was a whippersnapper. Yeah. We yeah, had to like break into it. I, what did I use? Like a knife? I don't even I, remember uh, what I used. No, we used the, the corkscrew. The corkscrew right? to open a beer. <laughs> you know, then we've had now this one, uh, that's kind of spilling all over you. Uh, Only a little. But yeah, but then the one before this that. Is nice, that's, though. That's, I feel like it's three times in a row, though, we've had some pot yeah. issues. So that's yeah. <laughs> uh, a good uh, good tasting, though. Oh, it's great. I'm enjoying that one a lot. It's got it's got a little bit of some kind of spice to it. I don't know what I would call it. It says in the description that you're supposed to get kind of a floral and actually pink bubblegum flavor. I'm not getting much of the pink bubblegum, if at all. It is sort of floral, but there's some sort of spice behind it that lasts on the palate. That's pretty nice. I'm enjoying that. So how's uh, okay. how's the Italian Pilsner there? To Italian Pilsner, oh man, it tastes good. It's uh, I can tell that the mystery beer number two, number two though, pale ale. Pale I'm ale. Going, okay. It's final. That decision. helped you draw the line. I yeah. took the first sip and I thought it was Pilsnery, but then when I got a couple more sips in, I was like, happens, this is, yeah. yeah, it's a pale ale. I need to need a minute. If it was by one sip, I would not have. I'd be letting Napoleon Dynamite down when he's doing his milk tasting <laughs> contest, but. Uh, this Pilsner though, very tasty and okay. uh, a little bit stronger, a little bit hoppier. So right. I'm feeling that. Okay. Um, I got my beard a little shorter than I sometimes do, which would normally have helped gather up some of the spillage that ran down Isn't my chin that, here this yeah. second. It would have normally held that a little. It didn't this time. So look, uh, it's, it's UFC 297 is this Saturday in Toronto and we'll get into that in just mm. a second. But one of the things we saw announced in the later parts of last year, and I don't think we talked about this was Francis Ngannou's next fight. Mm-hmm. which is going to be against uh, Anthony Joshua mm-hmm. in Saudi Arabia again, which is a bit of a bummer to me. And you and I talked about that by text. Just that's a moral thing more than a, I'm not bummed about the fight. I'm a bummed yeah. about the location. But you had said last year going into Nganu versus Fury that you thought that might be the biggest fight of the year. I don't yeah. know that it turned out to be. It did turn out to be f- like incredibly impressive. Like it mm-hmm. did, it was still successful, and we saw Dana, as he does, ripping Nganu on the way out the door. He thinks he's still going to be a big deal without the UFC. And it turns out, yeah, 
he is a big deal. Yeah. Still outside the UFC, he's still selling fights. He can do this on his own. Um, I guess the Ngannou versus um, uh, Joshua. No, yeah, the uh, Joshua fight that's coming up is Mar- in March, March 9th. Yeah, I, I don't remember the dates exactly. I'd have to look that up. But, I believe uh, it's early March, March 4th, March 9th, something like that. What is your level of anticipation for that one in comparison to the to the Fury fight? Um, I'm going to be excited to see it again. Um, I, I Yeah, like I did. I really thought last year Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou would be fight of the year, UFC and boxing. Like that was the big one I was expecting. Um, it being in Saudi Arabia, I think kind of hurt it a lot. If it was in North America, we would have had a lot more hype, yeah, a lot more buildup. Vegas or New yeah, York or something. If that was a Vegas fight, like, or, you know, something that, that was in a more, you know, North America kind of. You know, better time. Yeah. There was just so much more that it could have been um, rather than Saudi Arabia destroying, like you said, kind of controversial money, of money all over yeah. it. And it just kind of gets into that spot. Now for this, um, if you're Francis Ngannou, you're making money. I think he's going to make over $10 million once again. Yep. Um, so that's big for him. Like he's making big time money, which he was never making in the UFC before that. Uh, and this is a guy too that if you uh, you don't know his story, he has quite the story of kind of escaping and coming to America to fight. Yeah, and grew up in poverty. And yeah. Like it, it, it's quite a story. It's awesome to see him be successful. Like an incredibly likable guy. Yeah. My only issue with this fight now against him, uh, for him uh, going up against a guy like Anthony Joshua, you don't have that element of surprise anymore, no. right? When Tyson Fury got knocked down by him, it was like, oh shit, this guy's got power. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no shit. This guy was a heavyweight champion and walked away from the UFC. And he's got UFC. fists like mailboxes. Like, yeah. I don't know what you're... And you've already seen it in the what press they've done. Like, Mm-hmm. Anthony Joshua's taking this guy seriously. He doesn't well, appear to thing, be right? fucking around. And I'm not saying Tyson Fury didn't take him seriously, but Tyson Fury's a different personality, right? He's a different type of, of guy. Anthony Joshua is looked at Francis Ngannou and went, no, I won't be embarrassed by this guy. I won't take this lightly and have it show up on my record that he's... what I'm. I got to tell you, I'm more interested in this one than I was in the Tyson Fury fight, I, I think. And again, I, I, I'm not sure just because of the nature of where boxing is at in 2024, that this will be the biggest selling fight card of the year, but I am incredibly interested. I, I, mm-hmm. And part of that is just liking Francis, right? Like wanting to see him get what he deserves and, and what he gambled on. Get, he didn't know when he left the UFC for sure that he would be fine. He obviously gambled on that. He expected that, but he didn't know that. And yeah. now here he is. He's had a second, you know, probably the two biggest heavyweight names in the boxing world right now would be Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua. Yeah. He's getting both of them in a calendar year. Absolutely. And I think that's a big thing too. When he left the UFC, I don't think he ever imagined fighting the heavyweight champion of the world and Tyson Fury in a boxing match, knocking him down, right. kind of hitting him, cutting him. Like, you know, that's the thing. When I look back at that fight, it should have had a lot more hype. It should have had a lot more exposure. It should have been talked about so much more because of how impressive it was, but it wasn't because... It was like, okay, Tyson Fury, how serious is he taking this? Right. There's Did a title fight coming properly? out. He's fi- he's yeah. fighting uh, Alexander Usak after yeah. this fight. So, yeah. And it kind of came out right as he was like, so was he really taking it seriously? No. Was he just trying to take a money grab? Probably. But it's also like, you know, these guys are athletes. They get Nobody wants to be embarrassed. No. Like there was almost no way that um, Tyson Fury was going to lose that fight. Anthony Joshua, you know, since he, you know, he kind of lost his belt, but, you know, he's he lost back to back matchups against Usak, but then he's been on a three fight win 
in street boxing wise mm-hmm. against Otto Wallen, uh, Roberto Helenace, I don't even know who that is, and Jermaine Franklin. <laughs> uh, the, the three fights, uh, you know, the last three fights he's had. So you know, for Francis Ngannou, like these are just these are fights for him where he can he can surprise. And I think we've seen a lot from him where this guy, uh, you know, even when he hit one of his last fights in the UFC was against Cyril Gone, and everyone's like, well, there's no way he's gonna fight Cyril Gone very well because Cyril Gone's such a great athlete. He'll mm-hmm. take him down. He'll wrestle him. Well, what did he do? He did the same thing where he just handled him, and he showed that this guy can be a very well-rounded fighter. Yep. Um, on top of the fact that he has, like you said, lunch boxes for friggin' fists. <laughs> like this guy's a monster. So you know. Him then fighting Tyson Fury, he's like, I don't want to be a joke. Like, you know, I was a heavyweight champion of the UFC. Mm-hmm. I walked away. I want to make sure. And like I said, he looked a lot better in that in that ring uh, against Tyson Fury than I thought that Tyson Fury looked against him. So that said a lot about yeah. him. Yep. Now to fight an Anthony Joshua, this is a real fight. Now, Francis Ngannou says, I still want to fight UFC. I was really hoping for Matty, and I know I think I might have brought it up, but I was hoping for a kind of reunion to the UFC yeah. for UFC 300, yeah. uh, you know, depending on how things went with – um uh, Pavlovich and and uh, Tom Aspinall. I kind of thought that if you know Pavlovich won, that would be the fight to make for UFC 300. Two of the baddest guys at knocking people out, yeah, bringing Ngannou back. Yeah, yeah. bringing like Dana White throwing the money at him. But uh, you know, it, it, now I don't know what's going to happen That's for UFC happen. 300. It's kind of a who knows what we're waiting for. Like some good fights, but sure. we're waiting on a headliner here. Um, but now I'm looking at the sense of Francis Ngannou is going to be you know fighting this fight against Anthony Joshua and doing everything he can to once again now try and correct himself as a boxer. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to see who. He has in his corner. He had Mike Tyson in his corner against Tyson Fury, which uh, he talked about how his dream when he was growing up was to be a boxer, and he loved watching Mike Tyson. So to have him in his corner was really cool. He had Izzy Adesanya there with that him. That was one of the cool Kamaru moments Usman. of that card, right? Was all yeah. the African UFC fighters, yeah, um, like you said, Usman and and, uh, and Izzy uh, amongst them, you know, kind of lining up, never in like a showdown, but like at the same time, um, Fury had some big names in the boxing world that accompanied him down to the mm-hmm. and so it was sort of this unique stare down between MMA and and boxing and obviously uh you know Fury ends up winning the fight but uh Nganu makes it far more compelling I think than most people thought he was going to so um I'll be interested to see and we'll have time that's not until early March we'll know to get you back in here to tee that up more fully mm-hmm. we got to get into uh this weekend UFC 297 in Toronto And it had me go back and kind of Googling the history of the UFC in Toronto. And uh, I was there at UFC 140, which was just uh, a few months, actually. And if you remember at that time, we're talking 2009, 2010, 2011. Dana White is on off the record all the time, talking about Canada being like the hub of mixed martial arts. And this is... This is GSP, this is Rory McDonald, right? It's that era of fighters. And so UFC 129, I might have already told you the story and we don't have to get in detail, but like I went down to Vegas at the end of April, early May of uh, of 2011, and that happened to be the same weekend that the UFC made their debut at Rogers Center at the Sky Dome in Toronto. And I'm going through, there was this cool store behind Planet Hollywood that was all MMA shirts and gear and whatever, right? Like, just kind of like a gift shop for UFC fans, basically. And so the guy who's running the store is asking me and my friends, like, oh, like, where are you from? I'm like, oh, f- Toronto. And he's like, what in the fuck are you doing here this weekend? You're in a UFC gift shop in Vegas as people from Toronto while they sold out the dome for GSP versus, was it Jake Shields, maybe? Um 
for that fight. So that was kind of fun. But at the end of the year that year, it's December 9th, December 15th, something like that in 2011, UFC 140. And that is maybe as much fun as I've ever had at a UFC card. Mm -hmm. I've talked about going to see GSP versus Condit. That's the loudest building I've ever been in for any sporting event, let alone a mixed martial arts event. And I was pumped to see GSP. But UFC 140, it had um, as the main event, John Jones taking on Lyoto Machida for the light heavyweight title. Mm-hmm. And uh, John Jones wins that one in his second ever title defense. He had won the, the belt earlier that year. And John Jones is not yet the John Jones that we would get to was know. Was he 22 or 23 Yeah, exactly. Like, right. He's really young. Yeah. He's uh, the youngest champion ever. But in the co-main, it's Frank Mir versus Big Nog in a heavyweight mm-hmm. fight. And I don't know if you remember this one or not, Bunda, but that is the first time that Big Nog had ever been submitted. And it's because Mir gets him in like a Kimura, like an arm, like a key lock there on the arm. And they roll a couple of times. Like Nog gets out of it, but Mir doesn't let go. He kind of gets rolled over with him and he's holding on to it. And he rolls again and he holds on to it. And you can see there's this moment where Mir leans back and it's over. It's over. And you can tell Mir leans back, holds his arm, and gives him a second. You want to tap? You know you're done here, right? Do you want to mm. tap? And Big Nog, having never been submitted in his UFC career, does not tap. And Mir kind of goes, all right, leans back and snaps his arm in the middle of the octagon. It was gruesome mm-hmm. um, to watch that one. Uh, and you could, even in the crowd, you could all see it. Like the crowd almost went silent when they rolled through that second time and, and Mir was still holding on to the arm. You're like, it's over. He's going to tap here. And everybody goes quiet and he doesn't. And again, like, I'm sort of exaggerating, but not really where, where Mir's like shrugs and goes, gave you a shot Seriously. And, bro- and broke it. And then the ref had to go fights over. Like, yeah. Um, I forgot about that being in Toronto. It was man. Yeah. It, was, it was incredible. Um, there was also, we saw, uh, Tito Ortiz versus little Nog on yeah. the same card. Um, that wasn't quite as good, but the thing that stands out was early on, uh, on the main card there was pay-per-view. It was, uh, Mark Hominick and I'm struggling now off the top of my head to remember who he was fighting. Um, but you know, the Toronto kid, the homecoming big deal. He was going to be like the next guy with, with Rory McDonald, you know, to kind of carry the flag after GSP and he gets knocked out in set. Oh, uh, Kim, uh, Kim Min Young, uh, Kim. Anyway, hmm. a Korean guy and Hominick comes forward, takes a wild left swing, misses and eats a right jab and gets dropped seven seconds. The Toronto kid goes down. Uh, that was the first fight on the, the pay-per-view card. And you're like, oh my God, like the Toronto crowd just got taken right out of it. Yeah. Um, and at the time, it had tied a record for fastest knockout in UFC history. It was the hometown kid. The second fight, I don't even remember who it was, but it, intend- it ended up being all up against the cage, all kind of, ro- like, it was terrible too. And you're like, w- are we going to seriously see one of the worst cards in UFC history um, at that time at the, the first UFC I'd ever gone to? Luckily, those next three fights all deliver in a big way and turn out to be incredible. But it was so much fun, man. That was the first time I'd ever been to UFC like in between fights, as you know, they pan around and they're showing celebrities on TV who are there. Yeah. And uh, one of the, the names that they throw up on the big screen there in the building, I don't know if it made the broadcast, it was Phil Kessel, still a leaf, right? Oh, yeah. Checking it out. And in the background, the music that's playing is, I'm sexy and I know it. And Phil's just grinning at the microphone or at yeah. the camera. 
Um, that was my first UFC card, man. It was incredible to be there, and they're coming back uh, this time. I, I know you've been to at least one here in Ottawa. Uh, was there any part of you that thought, I'm going to try and get down to Toronto for, for this one this weekend? Did you th- look at tickets at all? or? Yeah, I went to one uh, for my 18th birthday. I can't remember what it was. It was early, though, or UFC. Oh, man, it was 2009. Yeah, okay. 2008 we're talking about. I was 18. Um, but the main event was uh, Anderson Silva versus Damian Maya, which okay. was, was terrible. And uh, because just Damian Maya wanted to line his back the whole time. Uh, <laughs> but um, Chuck Liddell got knocked out by Shogun Rua as well. Right, yeah. in that uh In the co-main, it was one of Chuck Liddell's last fights. Yeah. Uh, that was in Montreal. I saw that. Um, when I think of UFC Toronto fights of all time, it's hard to kind of beat, uh, you know, I love GSP. He's one of my favorite athletes of all of time, course, yeah. but I think the most known and craziest fight that ever happened in Canada has to be 165 Jones versus Gustafson one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The controversial decision where Gustafson basically, like, you know, the first time we've ever seen John Jones kind of get pushed into a corner and look like he was about to lose, a, you know, a kind of a fair fight other than his no contest of, I think, elbowing Matt Hamill. But I think when we get down to it, that was one of the crazier fights we've ever seen. Um, when I heard that the UFC was coming well, it's back. It's funny, just before you get into that, like it's when you think back to that era and I talked about how Dana was pumping up Canada as like yeah. the hub of the UFC, we just said it. It was UFC 128, UFC 140, and yours was 161? That was 165. That 160. Was, I didn't so, go to this one. But. but but they're coming like twice a year, yeah. essentially at that point. They're pumping Canada, right? Yeah. Like there's money to be made. So it's true. But yeah, when you heard about this one. Well, and the big thing too is at the time, right? GSP is the biggest fighter yes. in, in yes. Canada. He's one of the biggest athletes in Canada at that time. Athlete so of the year, back to back years. Yeah, you wanted that guy on almost any card yeah, in Canada. Yeah. Like I, that's the thing. I remember being disappointed he wasn't on the Montreal card. I saw he was there in the crowd, but it was like, oh man, I, I'm, I, I didn't care because right. it was cool. But that was my 18th birthday, and that was yeah, like I said, quite a while. I think it was like UFC 97, maybe maybe yeah, earlier yeah. than that. But it was it was a long time ago. So um, when I saw that they were going to announce a couple of fights I thought uh, I saw one card that had O'Malley versus uh, Cheeto in Toronto right that was a I'm going down to yeah, Toronto I know to you're watch a sugar this show guy yeah. I was down for the sugar show but uh that was uh pushed to March so when I saw this fight the card I was like yeah you know what no because one it's expensive I also seen like you said I've covered the one in Ottawa work-wise I've been to the one in Montreal uh UFC is so much more fun to be at when like you really really care yeah. and you're just there for the environment yes but I would much rather watch these fights on TV, like the cage. Like it's yeah. hard to have a good seat in the house when right. you know, the cage is in the way. There's cameramen all around the cage, so it's tough. But, you know, if you're on one side of the arena and you know the fights on the other side of the octagon, you can't really see what's going on unless you're watching the the big screen. But if you're there for like monumental moments, like I'm down for that. Like I like I said, I would have been down for Cheeto versus O'Malley just because you know one of my more favorite fighters yeah. in the last few years has been O'Malley. But uh, I, that would have been one. So I didn't have much interest in this one. The card itself is kind of on the weaker side. It um, it's just, and you know, I, I kind of a beef with the UFC. It's just anytime they have a fight in Canada now, it seems like, all right, well, why don't we just stack it with Canadians and give them one or two good fights? It's like, well. And I it used to be the opposite almost, right? Where yeah. they would try and give a headlining Canadian fight. Like, a main, as you mentioned, uh, like GSP, you try and put on the top of it. But the Canadian depth isn't what it once was. So they're, they're it, it's like, tough. Right it's hard now. to main event a Canadian card with a Canadian now because 
we're just not there at this point. Exactly. And, you know, I, I'm happy that the third fight of the night, uh, sorry, yep. the third last fight of the night is proper Mike Malott versus Neil Magny. And that's the big one because he's come on pretty good. But as you said, like he, like he, and he is the best Canadian fighter there yep. is right now. He's so, leading the next wave. Yeah. And Mark Andre Barrio was also on the card who, who's kind of, you know, I, I watched his UFC debut here in Ottawa and he's had quite the, uh, you know, career so far where he's had some, you know, he had a crazy, unfortunate knockout, uh, like I think like 10 seconds into it. Yeah. Uh, but then he's on, been on a bit of a tear lately. So when the UFC gets these like uh, Canadian cards, like if I look at it right now, it's, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight of the one, two, three, like 13, four, five, yeah. six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, like Canadian fighters. Yeah. So it's a lot. And, and some of them cool, like Jillian Robertson, she's been around forever, but I'm like, I was looking, I'm like, how is she really in the UFC? Like she kind of wins one, loses one almost every time I see her watch, uh, you know, watch her fight yeah. and she's 12 and eight and she's on, um, she's on the prelim card, but I just, I, I don't like how they just stack it with Canadian fighters just to try and make Canada happy. It's like, we don't really care. Yeah. I, I'd rather see if, big fights. If, than, proper, uh, if proper Mike Millard is fighting for a championship in Vegas, I'm still down to yep. watch that fight. I yep. don't care if it's in Toronto, or if it's in Vegas, sure. It would be a lot more meaningful for Canada, but I, I just think that these are, I, I don't know, you, you kind of throw away a good card and even like, you know, the main event is, uh, you know, well, let's get into the main event. Cause you actually, the last time you were in here, we're making some interesting points about it. And it, it's Sean Strick. Strickland versus Jerkis Duplessis. And look, Strickland, to me, is a villain, but not to everybody, right? Like to in the U.S., yeah. that guy has a significant following that would make him in some U.S. markets a major, you know, to use some wrestling terminology, babyface, right? He would be cheered in a big way. And you bring that to Toronto and you take that star power away a little bit. Now, Toronto MMA fans still know he's a great fighter, that he's a good But in terms of that crowd reaction that was going to be huge, I don't know, I guess is, is Duplessis the, the good guy going into this fight that Toronto is supposed to rally around. Um, we saw them, it, it was at 196 or 296 where there was a skirmish in the crowd between the two of them, which to me was so Bush league. I, I so set up to like yeah. Dana White putting them like three rows from each other. Yeah. Are you kidding and me? like he's taking time to like clear, uh, was it Gilbert Burns family out of the way yeah, so he can leap kid, over yeah. the stands, you know, like, or the seats and you're like, this is stupid. It, yeah. It's so Bush league, but you're trying to build some heat for the fight, I guess. Um, you brought that up the last time you were in here, the idea of putting Sean Strickland on the main event or in the main event of a Canadian card kind of takes away some of his star power in the U S what do you make of the, the main event? Yeah, I don't like it. I think that, uh, uh, one, like you said, you, you, te- you teed up pretty good. He even tweeted out, right? He, he ripped Canada and was upset that he was put on the Canadian card. Yeah. Like his first tweet, he just ripped Canada. I can't remember what he said, but he was just like disappointed that he was having to fight in Canada. So yeah. already didn't like that. Drake is Duplessis. I, I, you know, it sucks because I, I think he's an okay fighter, but I don't think he wins this fight either. Uh, I, I think that Sean Strickland kind of sets up, like people are talking about, well, Strickland's going to be in trouble when he goes to wrestle. Well, Strickland's a fine wrestler. Yeah. He's not a great wrestler, but he's fine. He can handle it. Dracus Duplessis is so sloppy when he's kind of exchanging. Do you think that might be the one area where it might help him? Like, I wouldn't have used the word sloppy. I don't think it's crazy that you did, but it is awkward. It is unorthodox. Yeah. And whereas Strickland is just kind of a precision striker. And if all of a sudden yeah. somebody's coming at you, 
throwing all kinds of crazy shit that no one else would have. Like, it's hard to prepare for that. You think that gives Duplessis anything? Or I, I think his his biggest thing is going to be you got to catch Sean Strickland making a mistake. I look back at the fight, Sean. Like, I'm not a huge Sean Strickland fan. I think he's a bit of a clown most of the time. I think yeah. he tries to be that guy that's over the top and, and crazy. Yeah, he's trying to be the new Kobe Covington. Yeah, and he's not, though. Like, he's that's not the thing. at all, no. and, and that's the thing. He's tough and he's good. And yeah. I think that, uh, uh, you know, I go back and I watch some of his older fights and he's just a dude. And it's like, all right, like, this guy was cool. Well, then, then it's like he started getting a name and he tried to make a name for himself with his mouth more than he really yeah. should be. Yeah. Uh, but I look at the fight where he fought Izzy Adesanya and I don't know where Izzy's mindset was in that fight, but he was just so yeah, That was September, in. right, in Australia. Yeah. yeah. And he was locked in and just with kind of keeping the distance with the jab and clean and going right down the middle with the striking, yep. that is something that Dreykus Duplessis is going to have to watch out for because DDP here is going to be eating those shots. He's kind of, like I said, he's sloppy. He's all over, like, yep. with this, especially with the striking. He's just a guy that I think if he's not going to, like, kind of, you know, try and hold him up against the cage, kind of dirty box with uh, yeah, with yeah. Sean Strickland, you know, if they're standing up, it's going to be an interesting one. But uh, I don't know. For Dreykus Duplessis, I just think that, you know, this matchup for Sean Strickland, it's kind of like his striking is in favor here, kind of like he's going to have that ability to do exactly what he did against Izzy Adesanya, come down the middle, feed him jabs, and then take opportunities when they're there, but don't kind of overexert yourself, don't go off your game plan, and then you'll win this fight. And it's exactly what happened, and he kind of mopped the floor with Izzy Adesanya, something we're not used to seeing in the middleweight division. We saw him when he jumped up to light heavyweight, right? It's funny you say that, though, right? This is the first middleweight Mm. title fight in seven years that has not involved Izzy Adesanya. Now, most of that time, he was the champ. A couple of or a, a rematch in there at some point, but is this for you a fresh rematch that kind of resets the division and gets you more engaged, or does it lose something when that top guy, that top middleweight like Izzy, is no longer involved? Because there's kind of two ways to look at that, right? Like, yeah, there's who's the next guy to have to fight Izzy, or here we are resetting things and and Izzy isn't a factor here. It is interesting that for the first time in seven years, that title is on the line without him involved. Yeah, I don't know. I I have a feeling the UFC is going to trot out Izzy Adesanya for UFC 300, but I don't even like it. I've heard the rumors that that's what it's going to be is that he's going to be the guy that kind of is the one that we're we're waiting for the main event to be announced for the UFC 300. Everyone's expecting a really big name and a big thing. Like It's kind of what the UFC always does. They brought back uh, Brock Lesnar versus Mark Hunt for UFC 200 and then it turns into a kind of a crap show. Yeah. Uh, but like they want to bring somebody like the card already is they've announced some fights. Not bad, but it's all right. There's a lot of pressure on this main event. And it's like, is he out of saying he hasn't even been gone long enough to, for there to be hype for him to come back and fight at UFC 300. So I don't really love but there it. There is the talk that 300 on its own will sell because it's that exactly big card. so that maybe they don't have to load it up. You can wait to. Uh, Connor later in the summer, which is like I think that. International Fight Weekend yeah. is what he's yeah. he's put out there on his, which everyone was waiting for three hundred. Also, we were waiting for like what two ninety six. But didn't like, we talk about International Fight Week last year? No, as maybe he's, that's what I mean. It's always kind of pushed back for Connor. He's uh, I'll believe him when he's in the octagon. To be yeah. honest, so that's one thing. But I look at the middleweight division, and it's kind of in a whatever spot right now, right? Like with like Izzy's one, and he's you know kind of retired, no idea what's happening, but then Dreykus Duplessis is fighting for the belt here, depending on how this fight goes. If this is a war of a fight, which it could be, I think sure. one thing I think that like Duplessis could do here is he's tough. 
So if he can out, if he can last with uh, a guy like Strickland, and we get a kind of a boxing match that's back and forth, I want to see a ref, a ref, uh, you know, a rematch right away. Yeah, like that's something I want to see right away because I, I look at Robert Whitaker and he's like, okay, he's kind of yeah. just hanging out. He just got manhandled by Dreykus Duplessis. Jared Cannonier, I love the killer gorilla, but he's kind of just whatever right now. You and know, he got mauled too. Yeah, well, he, he won against Marvin Vittori last oh, June. Oh, yeah, sorry, but he lost to. Um, to Strickland yeah. on the way up. And he, that was not close. Exactly. So, you know, w- between Strickland and Vittori, like there's not a lot happening in the middleweight. Like Hamzat seems to be doing whatever. Brandon <laughs> Allen's there. Like I don't know month to month what weight class Hamzat is in. Like, well, that's the thing. We don't even know if he's ever going to make anything <laughs> yeah. right now. But um, I don't know. I, I look at this fight as this has a, the fight, but we uh, this has the potential to be like a, you know, a, a rematch fight because of how tough these guys are. I still think that um, that he is the man as Str- Sean Strickland, but right now in the middleweight division, it, it's kind of all over the map. So to see Strickland go in this, uh, like I said, I want to see what happens here. Marvin Vittori still hanging out. Paulo Costa is doing whatever. Yeah. Brandon Allen is the guy that uh, I'm curious to see him uh, kind of where he's at and if he can end up kind of pushing himself kind of towards the top. Um, uh, and you know, there's a couple other guys in this division right now that I'm kind of looking at. I'm like, I don't really even, you know, care much about the, the Chris Curtis is fighting against, yeah. um, against, uh, Marc-Andre Barrio in this fight, in this, on this card, Marc-Andre Barrio wins this Chris Curtis is ranked 14. So he gets put into the kind of the top 15 rankings, I would believe. And that puts him in a spot where, all right, who's he going to fight? I don't know if he's going to be in the spot where we're going to see Marc-Andre Barrio fighting for title shots as much as I want to. And, you know, he's kind of, yeah, he's probably got a move no, up like an eight, yeah, kind of seven fight or something yeah. like that, right? But I look at the middleweight division though right now, and it's like I don't really know what to make of it. So this is the prime time for if these two guys have a war against each other, and yeah. you know they kind of have a little bit on the mic so far. But I'm curious to see how things move out after this. But if this is a war in the octagon, I want to see a rematch right away. So because there's just not a lot going on in the middleweight. No, division. there really isn't. So we've only got you for a short time. We got to bang through a couple of these here. The co-main is, uh, you know people trying to pick up the scraps from Amanda Nunez and, mm. and her retirement while she held the two titles. Um, the bantamweight title fight on the women's side is going to be uh, Raquel Pennington versus, and my notes have closed here, Myra. Myra Bueno Silva. That's right. Myra Bueno Silva. Uh, this lacks some name power, some star power. I don't know if you have a stronger take. Uh, we are seeing uh, Pennington, who is a vet, and she's accomplished some things, but mm-hmm. she's coming off a year-long break as, as she went and, and had a kid. Um, so she's coming back. She was the uh, – had worked her way back into being the backup fighter for Nunez's last fight, uh, which mm-hmm. happened back in the fall. Um, so in theory, she's back in, you know, in, in shape to do this. But, you know, Bueno Silva is – I think for most people, the favorite, do you sort of stand on that side? Where are you at with this one in the co-main as they try and uh, try and find somebody to fill Amanda Nunez's shoes as a bantamweight champion? Yeah, and the winner of this fight is going to be, uh, I believe, fighting Silva after this, or um, our, uh, Juliana Pena, Pena, who was yeah. really upset that she didn't even get a rematch against Amanda Nunez in general. For, but uh, when I look at this fight, I, I look at it as Raquel Pennington, you know, She's a vet, like you said, Rocky, but, uh, Myra Bueno Silva is, is a, is a good fighter. Yeah. She's like, I look at Raquel Pennington as being a well-traveled, good at everything, but not amazing at anything. Yeah. And we're coming in against, uh, Myra Bueno Silva, who she's tough. 
she's nasty. Her last fight is a no contest, but she choked out Holly Holm. Yeah. Uh, Holly Holm, sorry. And, and, you know, we look at Raquel Pennington. She beat Holly Holm. So I look at this fight as she's got more power. She's better striking. Her jiu-jitsu is better. Um, I think that this is, a, a you know, a fight that uh, she ends up winning this fight, no problem. Yeah. Raquel Pennington and Julian Pena do have, I believe, they have some beef. So yeah. if that is a fight that happens, like if, if Pennington posts it off, I just don't see it. Uh, I think that uh, Pennington's going to want to pull, pull her up against the cage and kind of dirty box her and kind of clinch her. And that's kind of the way Pennington has kind of fought the last yeah. few of her fights. And yeah. it's kind of boring and it's not really fun. So this has the makings of a very much a dud. And and yeah. I think that, uh, you know, Myra Bueno Silva, if she could choke her out, like I said, her last fight, she choked out Holy Home and, uh, you know, it turned into a no contest because she like tested positive for a drug, uh, yeah. but it was for a ADHD medication. And they kind of said, well, you know what? We don't approve of that's it, but it's a not steroid. a big deal. It's not so, a, it's not a DQ. Yeah. So it's a, we'll give you a no contest. So, uh, she ended up winning that fight. I think that her, I don't get the ADA, ADHD diagnosis or medication. Like somebody punches me in the face, you have my attention. I will not lack focus in that moment. I guess it'd be in training <laughs> and everything else, 100%. right? The crowd, you I'm get just in the, around. yeah, I, it's big time for yeah. sure. But, uh, it was good for the UFC to kind of give her that leniency and yeah. not give her the DQ and, no. and kind of remove her from this position. But she's, uh, you know, she's in a spot now where, uh, I think that, uh, we're going to see another Brazilian winner, yeah. uh, and holding the Bantamweight championship. I'm with you. I think Pennington has a bit of a name. She's been around for a while, but that's sort of what she's coaching posting on right now and that uh and she's probably the underdog here let's get to the one that's third from the top because this is the top canadian fighter on the card and Mm -hmm. this is a guy in mike malott that you've been talking about for a little bit now and Mm -hmm. and he's gonna face magni um i don't know that's an interesting fight Uh, this one as you've talked about the card and i think it was 296 we talked about was in here was full of names right like a lot i don't know how good the Fights were going to be at the time is what we talked, but the names were all there. There was a lot of star power on that 96 card. That's not the case here. Now, that doesn't always mean it's not a good card, right? Like oftentimes these ones that you sort of underestimate end up over delivering and, and people come through. But when you're third from the top and you got Magni versus Malat, I don't think for a lot of people that's a third from the top selling kind of like major card on name value, but it doesn't mean it won't be a good fight. And he is kind of the guy, uh, Mike Malott leading this next wave of Canadian fighters. What do you expect out of this one? It's going to be a tough fight for him because the uh, one Magni has the reach here. He's got a, a seven inch reach advantage against proper Mike, Malott. which is just huge. It's huge. It's seven inch reach advantage is gigantic, but Neil Magny's 36 and he's trying to some box wars. a gorilla at that point. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and you know, I, I, I don't know if you saw, but, uh, the, this Cuban fighter that the UFC had just signed, um, uh, Robellus Despain. Okay. Uh, but he has an 87 inch reach, which is on, <laughs> it's the longest reach in UFC history. Um, he's making his debut, uh, I believe on, t- uh, 299. What I'd do you even to- do? You just back into the corner and let the guy <laughs> the punch la- And I think it's crazy. He's, he's had, uh, his last two MMA professional fights have gone a combined seven seconds. Yeah, I bet. That's two fights, seven <laughs> seconds, like three and four second knockouts. Making Mark Hamnick look like a legend in Toronto. <laughs> Seriously. And I think the one before that, it was like a, you know, 20 something. Like he, he's, 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 uh, the, the wingspan on him is comparable to a Kawhi Leonard in the NBA. <laughs> like it's, it was crazy. I remember seeing that, but, uh, a seven inch reach is still a very big advantage. But yeah. when I look at it, prior, uh, like, uh, Mike Millard is a very well-rounded fighter. He's a good wrestler. He's a good striker. Um, that's going to be a tough one. I look at Neil Magny though. This guy just got his ass kicked, like ass kicked yeah. beat up badly by Ian Gary. So this is his first fight since then. 
curious to see if he's like on this redemption tour to show that he, you know, wasn't a punk that just got beat up. Uh, but also, I look at this as as Mike Malott. His last fight was. Uh, was it 289, I believe it was, that was in, in Vancouver. Yeah. He was on the yep. same card. And, you know, he had the last fight of the night. And, you know, June, the, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, and the Canadians uh, all won. on The Canadians went undefeated on the card. And he was the last one. And he had the great speech on the mic after it. And he said, you know, you thought, like, you know, there was no way I was coming into this octagon and I was going to let the Canadians down. Are you fans down? I had to carry the torch. Like, yeah. This guy gets fired up and he's good on the mic. This is a good fight for him. I think that he can end up winning this fight just because he's just such a well-rounded fighter. The reach is going to be interesting to see if he tries to use more ground game or if he goes to try and be a striker down the middle and try to kind of outbox him. get in tight. Right, like, and, and that's dangerous going. Like, exactly, yeah. and then Neil Magny, he's a veteran. Like I said, thirty six years old. He's seen a lot of fights. It's a very tricky one for him. So he can't be too confident. But I still think Mike Malott wins that fight, uh, which is going to be a, a, one of the ones that are going to think. I, I think it's my most interested fight of the night. Yeah. I, I think that the title shot between Duplessis and Strickland is very entertaining, and it's going to be exciting. And I think it could turn into a boxing match pretty quickly. That you know, again, like I said, it could have a rematch fast. I still think uh, Strickland wins that one, but. Yeah. I look at this one as the potential fight for the night right here uh, between Malat and Magny. Just it seems like when Malat has that flag, he wants to represent Canada. He sure. wants to be proud. He has that ability to do it. He's great on the mic. I think this is a good one for him, and then this will knock him into the top fifteen in the welterweight division. So uh, I don't know how much time we got left with you here. Got a couple minutes. Here. All right. So uh, you know, I always like to ask you to pick one. Uh, those are the three top ones. Look, the main card is it's a little weaker than some of the others, but I always like to ask you. If there's something, whether it be on the prelims, something a little further down, maybe it is one of the earlier ones on the main card on pay-per-view. For me, this is probably not a buy. This is one of those ones I sit back with my feet up and wait for Bunda to come through with one of his magic links. Oh, uh, I think I've got one of those. So uh, we'll, we'll look at that. But is there anything else further down the card, uh, whether it be a great matchup or a name? As we've mentioned, there's a lot of Canadians here. Um, you know, anything that you think people should take a look out for uh, earlier in the night? Um, earlier in the night, I don't, I don't see a lot there. Like yeah. that's where my griping is. Like I said, a lot of these early prelims and prelims are just kind of Canadian fighters that like Jasmine just vicious. She's nine and three. She's fighting Priscilla. Name too. Uh, yeah, she's <laughs> the second fight of the night. Jimmy Flick versus Malcolm Gordon is going to start the night. Malcolm Gordon's always fun to watch. So, and Mal- and Jimmy Flick used to be a lot of fun to watch. So that is a very good way to start the night, uh, in terms of entertainment wise. Um, you know, I, I look at Brad Katona. He he's a kind of like a two time winner of the Ultimate Fighter because he won the Ultimate Fighter. I saw him has one of his last fights in in Ottawa. Uh, he lost to Marab Devashili, right, so yeah, yeah. Uh, that was very tough for him. And he kind of went away from the UFC. Then he kind of you know came back in in, in the. Um, the Ultimate Fighter last year, he ended up winning it. Now he's going to be fighting as well against Garrett Aaronfield. I don't have much of a read or care on that fight there. I'm curious to see how it goes, but sure. not much. But I look at the, the there's the, the one fight I do want to see. It'll be the fourth fight. Uh, sorry, I guess the second fight of the night on the main card. Uh, but uh, Chris Curtis versus Mark Andre Barrio. I brought yeah. him up earlier, but yeah. Mark Andre Barrio, uh, Quebec City, Gatineau. Like he's kind of in the closer area. He's kind of the closest to Ottawa fighter we've really had. That's kind of put this. But Chris Curtis, like I said, he's 14. These two dudes, like this is going to be knockout of the night fight like these guys are crazy when it comes to throwing <laughs> fists Chris Curtis is a very fun fighter in the octagon uh this is going to be real good he's a bit older 36 but uh for Marc-Andre Barrio uh, power bar you know the reach adva- uh, he's losing the reach advantage it's one and a half in terms of Chris Curtis I think that's going to be very interesting but for the middleweight division for uh Marc-Andre Barrio this is kind of like you know what this is your chance to kind of get into the welterweight division and kind of start putting a name for yourself like I said he's had some some interesting fights but I think that this one is the big one for him and the first 
fight of the night is also a featherweight fight between Arnold Allen and uh, Mosvar Evloev. Like, this is a fight where Evloev is undefeated, and Arnold Allen is coming off a loss, uh, I believe, to, yeah, Max Holloway in a division, uh, decision, but he was on a bit of a tear as well. So yeah. that is a fight that I don't think is getting enough hype between two guys that are, you know, kind of almost undefeated, but very popular in the UFC and very good with the UFC the last little while that I think we could see uh, a pretty good uh, finish here. I'm not sure who wins this fight, but I've, I'm going to pick one. I'm going to go with, uh, you know, I'm going to go with Arnold Allen. I like him a okay. lot. Um, he's more of a striker. Elovev is kind of a, a, a more of a wrestler, kind of freestyle kind of guy, does whatever he wants to do. Uh, <laughs> he'll throw you up against the cage. He'll wrestle you to the ground. Um, his, I get, his resume isn't as more fun as Arnold Allen. So, but a big fight for Arnold Allen to win that one and kind of put himself into the next position. But I think if you're going to ask me for one fight, I'm going to take Mark Andre Barry over Chris Curtis because that has a very, uh, very exciting feel to it. Yeah. And, and for just the local ties, I want to see Power Bar kind of kind of vault himself into that multi, uh, middleweight division and see where he's at. So that one is uh, second up on the uh, the pay per view. Yeah, second so card on the paper, or second fight of the pay per view. Uh, the pay per view itself is actually a pretty decent card. Yeah, like if you go around all the fights, like they're very good matchups. It lacks some names value, it, but there's some does. interesting fights there. Exactly. And I think that's where you'll always win. Like you said, you can have a name driven card and it's going to be a dud and you can have a card that's not name driven. Like they said, the, the fight uh, 289, I believe it was that I, I have to double check it and look back hard. If I can do that, I don't have it right on me right <laughs> now. But uh, if I look back at UFC 289, I remember that being a very underwhelming yes. card name wise. Um, and it was in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah that was, was headlined by Nunez. Charles and, Oliveira uh, versus Benil Derouche. Mike Malott beat Adam Fugit. Uh, Dan Ige, you know, like there was a Marc-Andre Barrio won that one against Eric Anders. Um, but you can see exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. Like two, a couple of Canadian guys there. Yeah, throw them on the next Canadian one in Toronto. Well, and, like, and that's what I mean. And it's kind of a idea that I don't like because it's like, all right, we'll just load it up with Canadians to get the the, the crowds in there. But like, like Dan Ige, like, you know, like... Yeah. Charles Oliveira, uh, Benel Derouche, like Amanda Nunez versus Arena Aldana, but that was supposed to be Pena, but she had to pull out. Yep. So that was a fight that was whatever. Chris Curtis was in the prelims and, you know, he fought, but, you know, a lot of these guys, uh, guys and girls that were on the fight, you know, like 289 was very much a dud in terms of names, but it was a great card to watch. Right. So that's the thing where I'm, I'm very much excited for. That's a reason for optimism here. It, yeah. Be uh, optimistic about this card. Like I said, the pre, the, the prelims and, and early prelims are kind of whatever. Hopefully we get more entertainment out of the fights and we do the name recognition, <laughs> but the pay-per-view card itself, 297 is a good card. And that's, there's not a very bad fight on that. Yeah. And so I, I'm curious to see how it all turns out and I'm loving it, but uh, yeah, shout out to power bar. Uh, great dude. <laughs> I want to see him take down Chris Curtis. That's my kind of prediction for fight of the night or knockout of the night. That's the big one. There you go. And uh, look, we're into an interesting stretch here. Two, uh, 298, 299. And 300 all in the uh, the coming months before April 15th. We've also got, as we talked about a little while ago, Nganu versus Joshua. So there's plenty of reasons to uh, to make sure we get Bunda back in here on the regular here for the next couple of months. And, and we'll do that. We uh, Before we wrap up, we'll once more say thank you to our friend Angela Thompson from the Love Lake you, of Brewing Company uh, for hooking us up with the beers for today's episode, as she has done multiple times in the past. Uh, Lake of Bays makes fantastic stuff. Uh, as I said earlier on in the show, one of my favorite early on craft beers was the Spark House from Lake of Bays. That one is always in the LCBOs. It's easy to find if you've never tried Lake of Bays before. That's the one to start with, in my opinion. But they've got all kinds of great stuff out there as we have uh, worked through here today. So thank you to Lake of Bays. Thank you to Ang- Angela Thompson. And thank you to you, Bunda, for making your way back in here. No doubt we will be doing this again over the next couple months, headed towards 
UFC 300, my man. Absolutely. Uh, always down to talk fights. Always down to sneak past the tall can audio fans that are upset. And I'm always down for uh, Angela dropping off beer. Like I said, <laughs> I love you. That's uh, very sweet of you. Uh, love She good takes beer. good care of us here. Yeah, She does. And like I said, beer number two, I'm next to positive is a pale ale. There you go. And uh, whenever I look it up and I, I'm wrong, and you guys can just <laughs> chirp me for it for whatever. But uh, also enjoying the Pilsner here right now yeah. with, uh, with their on the hunt Italian style Pilsner. So thanks again, Angela, for the beer. Love that. And uh, love talking fights with you, Maddie. So thanks for having me on, man. That's where we'll wrap and this football. one up, Bunda. And yeah, football. 100%. Go Bucks. Go Bucks. Yeah. So uh, big weekend coming up for Bunda. He's got his Bucks going on. He's got the UFC going Just on. Just regular divisional weekend, not super divisional no, weekend. There's, there's no super Monday night or game. That's, no, that's, that's, exactly. So uh, you can follow him on social media at SteveBunda91. As always, we are on uh, most platforms at Tall Can Audio. And uh, that's where we'll wrap this up. For Steve Bunda, my name's Matt Robinson. Thank you so much for listening. See you all next time. What was that? Number one bullshit. Oh, number one bullshit. Why are you so pissy?